Good evening and welcome to The Real Study with your hosts, Mr. Snippets. Welcome back to The Real Study. Black Girl Marvel. But I, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Mr. Marvelite. Not knowing anything about the film. All the movie things. You know, and like I was locked in right away. The pre-review with Super Gummy Guru. Pre-review. And me, the real study movie voice guy. Let's go to the poster wall. Good evening and welcome to the real study. My name is Mr. Snidbits, and as always, to my left is Black Girl Marvel. And tonight we have Blind Biggie with us again. And we hey. are discussing some interesting films. So, disclaimer tonight we will be discussing films that deal in illicit substances and other things of that nature. The discussion mm-hmm. will probably not center on those things, but as they come up, please forgive us that we are not talking about or doing any of these things. We are just critiquing films about them. So that said, we will be discussing <laughs> Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, the Johnny Depp Benicio Del Toro form, film done by Terry Gilliam, uh, also written by uh, Hunter S. Thompson. And then we will also be doing The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, starring Heath Ledger, uh, as well as a myriad of other people. We'll get into that. Uh, also directed by Terry Gilliam. And finally, uh, Scanner Darkly, which is a Richard Linkletter film starring Keanu Reeves. Uh, all of them have one very specific theme. And good evening. That is all of those uh, substances we were talking about. So the, that is part of this, this evening discussion. So how are you guys doing? I'm tired. Just tired? <laughs> I'm like extremely tired. I... I Went to like a game night yesterday and maybe I can't drink Angry Orchards because they're too sugary and my sister can't take it. And I was just, I've been drained this entire day. I've been so drained. and All I've been wanting to do was sleep, but I knew I just couldn't do that all day. And I have, I didn't finish the Scanner Darkly. So I got right, oh. I got, I, I'll tell you where I got to. I got right to the part where um, she's like, I know you've been, uh, like I know you've been Bob Arker's entire time. Like, like I know it's Donna. So oh, then we we have like this much to fill you in on. So you're yeah. Okay. I have yeah. like I know I'm like yeah, yeah. super close to the end because I've you're seen it right before. Then. I've seen it before, but I haven't. I was very young when I saw it, so I was like, you know, I remembered it, but I was like, I kind of don't at the same time, and so that's the part that I ended up off, off on. So all right, all right, yeah. Well, um, we do have the pre-review back this evening, so we'll be getting into that. Hey, so, good to see Sean back. Yeah. Um, he's back on TikTok um, as well. Uh, and we just got a new follower, that. Pancakes That Are Flat, uh, which is uh, a good thing. A friend of, friend of Blind Biggie's kid. All right, all right. That's what, that's what we're... Pancakes. All right. So welcome. Uh, Hi, and Joker. Do be aware that, uh, you know, we, this is a PG-13 show, so just keep that in mind. Um, Happy and then, Father's Day to all the fathers, by the way. Thank you. Yes, it is a it is Father's Day. And Happy Father's Day, Blind Biggie. Happy Father's Day to you. Thank you, thank you, uh, and thank you for the Happy Father's Day, Blala. Can't really, can't really. It's even, to both of you. That's yeah. to both of you. Appreciate Happy that. So I mean, I don't have no kids. I don't have a penis. So you know. So neither um, of those things will let you become a father. Neither of those things father, will let me right? be a yeah. father. So no, it's not all it's cracked up to be. That's okay. This is also, I think, oh, I, one of the no. worst holidays. No offense to all fathers, but this is the one that pretty much nobody cares about. 
uh yeah at all and that's next fine. week next week joker next week next week what did he say when is the doctor strange review next oh yeah so next week is going to be the multiverse episode we're going to do two mm-hmm. two movies both dealing in multiverses uh Ooh. and so it'll be everything everywhere all at once and doctor strange Oh yay! Oh, so it'll be fun, and we're gonna have a special Joker, guest. Joker, um, hit us up in the hit us up in the in the Discord. We already have a special guest for that, but we can we could probably do another, you know, something. Welcome, Some Fortnite Battle Pass. Thank you for the for the follow. Uh, two follows in the first seven minutes of the show. We'll take it. Thank you guys awesome. so much. Yeah, we like it. Good start. Yay. Um, so we do have three movies as well as the pre-review to get into, so we should probably jump right in. But yes, our special guest next week will be um, Mike. Uh, he's actually a superhero talk on TikTok. He's also the uh, co-creator of the Nerd Initiative, as well as an Emmy award-winning ABC journalist. So we'll have a certified Emmy winner on our show. Uh, which is uh, pretty crazy uh, and fun. Uh, and he's a huge Marvel person too. So we're going to have three big Marvel people, Black Girl Marvel, Mr. Marvelite, and Superhero Talk on our yeah, show. So there's going to be a lot of Marvel talk. Anyway, that said, let's get right into this. We're going to start with Here in Loathing in Las Vegas. And I would love to go straight to Black Girl Marvel because I believe you've never seen this film. And yeah. this is an interesting movie for people to watch for, yeah. for the first time. This film was uh film was crazy. It was like weird. I kind of didn't understand it and then I did understand it at the same time. Like I but I don't, you know, sometimes I sometimes I'm like, what's the point of movies? And sometimes I can't sometimes I can't find the point. And I'm like, maybe that's the point. <laughs> you know, like so because I feel like all movies are made for a reason and if I don't get what the director got out of it maybe i get something for myself you know might not i might always feel the mark for stuff but this is weird this is i feel like this was the beginning stages of jack sparrow for johnny Depp. um especially like how he walked his his stance is very wide um his stance is like very wide um benicio del toro for me was like the standout for me because i don't know he was just everything he did was very like high octane and big energy and it's like I've seen Benicio like that but I haven't seen Benicio like that so it was just like it was kind of crazy um yeah like I'm uh I I, I thought it was interesting I don't know if I liked it or not I would I probably have to watch it like maybe two more times to say whether I liked it or not I don't I don't dislike it but it's not like a favorite it was weird I got like a like Sorry, I know this is PG-13. And sorry to all these people. It's legal in my state. I got a little high when I watched this. And um, that was trippy. Because I was like, what is happening? Like, like a couple of times. And so it was just like this weird amalgamation of, of humans. It was weird. I can't really put words to it, but those are the words I have right now. All right. Uh, how about you, Blind Biggie? I know you've seen this movie a couple of times at least. And uh, you've claimed oh. this as, as possibly a... An up there film that you enjoy yeah uh way back in the day when i worked for blockbuster of course back in uh when 99 is probably when it hit vhs i think uh i don't know i watched it once and i was just i was just floored it was great uh i'd always uh heard and read a little bit about hunter s thompson and uh his uh you know the fact that he's really eccentric uh in certain ways Couldn't and tell. 
this this <laughs> this movie uh, where Johnny Depp plays Hunter or Duke Raoul uh, mm-hmm. is exactly what I expected, honestly. Um, but uh, this this movie has a lot to love besides Johnny Depp, even though the, he is the lead. Uh, mm-hmm. Benicio del Toro is fantastic. Uh, you also you also have Steve Barrico. Uh, in this, and uh, small roles by lots of people like uh, Ellen Barkin, and uh, you also have Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz. You've For like got a Mona second and a half, right? Boss. Yeah, you've got Mona from Who's the Boss in there playing a check-in girl. So uh, I, I really appreciated all of the moments in this film because in, in my early 20s, I, I was pretty close to this guy. And he, just the way they made it look, the way Terry made it look, the way the choreo, the, the cinematography, I'm sorry, cinematography was, it was just gritty and dirty and vile. And I think that's what they wanted to convey. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree with that. Uh, let's add a couple more names that were shocking, I think, to if most people don't know. Toby Maguire is in this movie, and he plays <laughs> the pastiest, white-haired, long white-haired, weird-looking dude I swear I've ever seen in a movie. Um, and he's not the weirdo in the movie. That's the thing that's like admiring the shape of your skull. (laughs) He's the guy they pick up hitchhiking in the beginning. Um, they, they, yeah. If you don't remember that law, am I losing you, law? You there? Those apple drinks don't joke around. I'm sorry, my aunt called or something. So sorry. Okay. Listen to her voice. So, what was your question? We were talking about Tobey Maguire being in this movie as a the, oh, the straight was, white hair. I was freaked out. Yeah. I was like, "What is wrong?" But he's with his not hair? the weirdo. Like, he's the totally no, normal he's guy. He's actually quite sane. Just a guy. He jumped right? out of he jumped out of that convertible because That's he was like, "They were acting nuts," and they were acting nuts. Um, they they were. I mean, the, there's not really much of a moment in this film where they're not acting nuts. And no, I, and as a person. Oh. It moves very fast. It does, it's, but yet it's a long movie, so like it's weird because yeah. there's many, many scenes in it. Yeah. Um, the strangest thing to me about this movie is that it's it's kind of a snapshot of two eras. So it's a snapshot of the '90s, right, where what what the Gen Xers were doing and what they thought of boomers in their era, and this whole movie mm-hmm. surrounds the concept of the boomers were, and I don't mean that in a derogatory mean. But, way but the the summer of love folks the people from the 60s were were trying to get over the fact that no matter how hard they tried things didn't ultimately go their way and by the time the 70s hit and then of course the 80s as we all know things kind of stopped being that way and that momentum completely shifted and there's even a quote in the movie that blew my mind um where he talks about if, if you go up on a steep hill in Las Vegas, you can look out and you can see where the wave the of that momentum down. crashed up against and made a high water mark and then washed away. And it's such a well, surreal yeah. moment. And it's kind of got me teary. I'm like, oh shit, man, that's no wonder you resorted to doing all these drugs and going completely off the deep end because you that's thought you had made an assumption. Right. Right. So like, it's kind of like, what well, the also hell? it's like, it kind of makes sense. Like, cause like throughout history, like the heavy thinkers or the, the people with a lot on their brain tend to go towards drugs because it like dulls them down. It kind of like mellows them out in a way, which depending on what he was taking, he didn't really mellow, but you could tell by like his voiceovers, which I assume is just him writing. <laughs> cause I just, that's pretty much what I assume. You can tell that, um, you can tell that 
he's a he's very smart he's very intelligent he's like very in the know but sometimes those people who kind of like see things a little bit differently and the world can be a lot for them and i think for him the world was a lot um because he couldn't just he couldn't focus and then it was like okay do drugs the the, the drugs will help me focus but he was doing so much in such small periods of time that they all kind of like colluded and turned him into this thing but he still had this purpose like i gotta write i gotta do this i gotta do this i gotta i gotta okay but i and then it's like he still has the forethought to take care of this young girl even though he didn't really care to take care of her yeah i was gonna say but did he, that interrupt his he, uh, escape he took, and that's why he, he didn't like it not at all he took care of her a little bit but then it, it was selfish for why he wanted to take care of her he's like we gotta get her out of here but then he wanted to pimp her out so it was like it went well no i think that was his way of telling his friend what do you want to be this guy i think that was not uh well it's thompson I mean, we know he's using a fake name so hunter was not <laughs> trying to convey that he was like saying well if you're gonna bring this girl back to this you know room anyway why don't oh, we just so take it like he, oh, he totally was making him feel guilty it's how dr gonzo understands things so dr gonzo had to have things taken to the extreme for him to get it and then when he got right. it, he started damn. to feel guilty. He's like, "Oh, damn! I don't don't make me feel bad." And it's like, was "Well, that you should have been his lawyer." Yeah, his, as his, your attorney, his, I advise you. Uh, yeah, because look into Doctor Gonzo. Benicio played the lawyer, right? right? Am I confusing that? Yeah, that's right. And it's Doctor Gonzo it was, is the lawyer. Yeah, uh, it was just so much drugs flying around that I was like very trying to keep it focused on well, who these characters are, what they, what positions they play <laughs> in each other's lives. Um, but I think for me, this film was just kind of weird. And I like weird, but sometimes weird can be chaotic too if you're not kind of. Because to me, everything, everywhere, all at once, it's weird, but it's manageable chaotic, like chaoticness when you watch it. This was chaotic in a way that I didn't know what strings, what who would, what attached to what, what flip. It was just very like there's it was so much. There's weird, like everything, everywhere, all at once. But then you have a movie like this where you take weird and you add frantic, and you add paranoia. And you have yeah. a wild Yeah, that's time. why I said it's chaotic. It's right. weird, but it's like, but it's a chaos that I couldn't like cipher through. Usually when it's like something's like weird and chaotic, I can cipher through it. And I'm like, this is kind of, this is nuts, but this kind of, and this one, I was just like, this is a whole images, Yeah, I'm like, all these images flying in my face. And I'm like, this is not a one time watch of a film. I have to watch it right. a couple of times. You, you know? do. You really do. Yeah um it's it's not easy now lala if you didn't know this was actually a book uh written by hunter s thompson uh and it was a very popular book in the 80s uh and the thing about hunter is that what you're watching on screen with johnny is hunter s thompson that's that's johnny depp having studied hunter as a person because they hung out a lot uh like a lot a lot um a lot just as friends and so he got to know Mm -hmm. him and his mannerisms concepts and what's crazy is there's another movie fear and loathing is not the first fear and loathing in las vegas movie made there's another one called where the buffalo roam with bill murray playing hunter s thompson and then you've got peter boyle playing dr gonzo and so it's a very different movie it's a little bit more of 80s slapstick than it is you know it still deals in some of it but it's a little more palatable if you want to just watch that one to see without the lizards in the in the puke floor and the I don't know i mean the johnny depp one is kind of like the the known kind of like the one that people kind of i kind of want to watch this a couple more times because it's just i need to i need to know what i don't know i guess i'll say because it's just it's very it's thick and i think a lot of things a lot, and i'm being very honest a lot of things a lot of civilism like kind of like went over my head because i was just kind of like 
what's happening. Like, I was very much like, what's this story? Like, because sometimes what I do is I find the story and then I can, like, bond with the characters and be in the moment. I couldn't really find this, the purpose of the story. Well, there's no this. protagonist. But again, but yeah, and again, maybe that's the point, like I said in the beginning. But, but for me, my brain needed that to latch on to. And it didn't have it. So I was like, okay, this is a movie I have to watch again. Like, I have to watch this movie. It's just it's just a, a wacky adventure that takes it takes takes place in this time, and uh, with everything involved, it's a very big jumbled mess to kind of take in. But it's also directed so brilliantly. It just it's one of those movies that definitely sticks with you. I think. Now you can tell the people yeah. that were involved in this movie have done a lot of the things that are in this movie, and I don't mean the the like hurting people or the, you know, I'm talking about all the illicit substances. You can tell the people that did this knew what they were doing when they made this movie. Um, because the visuals and all the craziness you see, uh, the way that things kind of are weird at moments, the, the angles they use, there's the moment where Johnny Depp has done the, the, uh, uh what is it? The adrenal, the adrenal gland, adrenochrome. Yeah, yeah. And he has taken one, he was told to take one drop he takes five <laughs> because he's having fun just taking it. It and looks even, like, and not even drops. Like he took a couple. It, like drops he kept like he, licking the he, whole thing. Yeah. And then he and then he then he was like fine. Then when he got in the bed, he opened it and then just. And then he drank a little, like, right? Oh, and so Doctor Gonzo was like, "I think you took too much." And he's like, "Lean into it, or you're gonna have a stroke." Uh, and when he does, time. right? When he leans into it, the 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 cinematography and the angles and the shots of Johnny's face. In those moments, I'm like, ter mm -hmm. I'm not terrified by Dr. Gonzo turning into a Satan creature. I'm terrified by Johnny in that moment, right? That to, that to me was the scary part. Like, what, I, don't, I guess he is the protagonist, but it's hard to say because I don't yeah. relate to him and I don't care, right? I don't, I, if he were to die, I'd be like, eyes. well, yeah, his eyes, they were like bright yellow uh, and really odd. Yeah, but he, but you know what it reminded me of? Because he was just like, um, when he was in the bed and he's like, so where did you get this from? Like, who did you get this from? And then like Dr. Gonzo was like a Satanist. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, he's like a Satanist. So like when he drank from the bottle and then he was like, the camera was like very zoomed in. He had the, like the, like the towel over his head. He looked kind of like a satanic nun. In yeah, life. I can he see that. He looked very like satanic. And Symbolism, I was just like, yeah. cause like part of me was like, is that actually what he looked like? Or is that what he thinks he looked like? You know what I mean? Like, hmm. I was just like very curious. Because I felt like a lot of this was like um, kind of similar to a Scanner Darkly where like the guy was so high that he was imagining things. Like he was like, mm -hmm. he was like seeing things. So for me in Fear, Fear and Loathing, it was kind of like a similar thing. Like, okay, I know these things happen. Like, don't get them done wrong. I know you destroyed these hotel rooms, destroyed this car. Like, I know these things happen. But certain things that look more fantastical, I was like, okay, are they, are they thinking this is what's, what's happening? Like this is their view. Like we're watch, we're looking, yeah. we're, we're seeing some real stuff, but then we're also all the lizards. Their view were what Johnny you know? or what Hunter saw when they arrived yeah. because he had taken all that stuff before they got there, and it was supposed to hit yeah, right when they got like, there. So, part part of the like, right. like I'm like, is it actual bats or is he imagining bats? And so, then he runs over a bat, and I'm just like. And as we know from last week's episode in Rango, uh, that Rango takes place in the same universe as Fear and Loathing. Mm -hmm. So those bats are not just bats, but those are bats with moles on their backs fighting against, yeah. you know. Because he's like bats. Yeah. And I was just yeah. like, and I was just like, he was like, he's like, we can't stop. It's bat country. And I was just like, but is it bats? But he ran over a bat. And I was just like, 
Like it was like a, it was like in a way, if you're sober, this will make you not sober. Like, right. <laughs> That's kind of like, I think what they were going for. It'll bring you into the high with them, and it's like a weird place. Very surreal, yeah. Yeah, it's a weird place. Um, let's see who else was in this movie. Mark Harmon shows up for like a split second as a freaking reporter. Um, oh, what's his name? What's his name? Wasn't that, um, wasn't that Stabler as the gay concierge? Uh, Chris Maloney. Christopher Maloney. Yeah, Maloney, that that's right. I was looking at him. I was like, is this on your resume, sir? Because did it should not be. Know you were it's on his it. IMDb, that's for sure. <laughs> and I didn't got... know that you're being a gay man. And I was just like, this is kind of funny. And, you got Gary Busey as the most nonsensical police officer in all of movie history. Uh, Listen, he asked for a kiss. I said, wait, you're lonely. I said, what is this film? It's, like, Before you go, can I have a kiss? Michael, Michael Chester, who played the head DA, who, who explained the various levels of the crazy psychotic drug killer, uh, you know, and why they go after people. You've got uh, Flea as, you know, as a musician. It's listed as a musician. Go figure. Which uh, is what he is. Right. So thanks for informing us. Right. Thanks. But he played the weird, like, 70s hippie guy. And I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Lyle Lovett. The, sniff, the sniffer. Yeah. Right. Lyle Lovett, the cowboy. Penn Gillette. Vern Troyer, who was in two of the movies we watched th- tonight. Um, Debbie Reynolds like is actually less like Johnny Depp. Right. Just like Johnny Depp. Two movies. Both of those. I saw Vern I saw Troyer and I was like, hey, he's back. I was yep. like, hey. And Johnny was in two of them as well. That's a good and point. Vern um, Troyer, uh, D- Debbie Reynolds was actually credited for her voice because she is the voice when they go to see her show and they're booted <laughs> out immediately uh, as they should be. Um, it, it's it's funny because I, you want, I want to like Dr. Gonzo, but he's not a good human no. at all. No, I even think there's a, like a, a questionable flag flying in his window when they show his office. Like I, I, I worry about that gentleman. Um, and then I worry about the stuff that, you know, you hear Raul Duke constantly referring to his race, constantly referring to how, well, if he weren't this guy, mm-hmm. then his race would be yeah. an issue and things like this. And this movie is dated. Um, but at the same time, we're talking about a movie written by a guy who was big in the, the you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah. You know, not to excuse it because I'm not at all, but it's just interesting to look back at movies I would have not blinked at. But I feel like, you know, some stuff you have to excuse, especially if it's this is a film that's made back and when it's made back, you know what I mean? Like, we can't go, if that's the case, then we need to go over all of film history and remove all films will be gone from the the, the ether of film. So I feel like, I feel like because. We deal with movies in the time in which they're in, and then we, we we judge them for the time in which they're in. So like, I can't use my twenty twenty two brain to go back and be like, oh my god, like, oh how dare? Yes, they did that back then. Like that was okay as a society. We were like, that's fine. But as a society now, we're like, that's not fine. So a lot of these movies could be made now, right? Which I'm kind of happy. Which I'm kind of happy about because like, let's grow a little bit. Like let's grow. But that's so what it's showing like, us, right? Right. right. And I I can't condemn the, the, the stuff like that. Also, Christina Ricci. We didn't bring her up. Christina Ricci. Yeah. Um, in the sky with diamonds. That's what you like. <laughs> a lot of Beatles references in these movies. I wonder yeah. why. Um, Beatles are everybody's favorite. So that makes sense to me. I, I did like the brashness of Raul Duke and how even in the lawyer's convention, he was sitting there on the floor doing stuff. Doing coke. 
and I'm just like, wow, this is how you've got to be a ballsy individual to to do that. And I think because nobody would ever expect him, he got away with it. Like nobody. Yeah. Well, also, I feel like when you do things as though nobody's paying attention, nobody pays attention. Right. right? But it's because because everything he did, he did in a way of like a, a confidence, like an air about himself. It was very much like, oh, it's fine. No, 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 it's fine. Like, like, like when he dodged the cops and he was just like, he was telling us in his mind, he was saying like, this is why I'm doing it because he's going to think this. And when I do this, and he got away with it. I love like, that. I love I he's like, like, if you speed up to 80, but then turn on your signal, they won't know what you're doing. Right. Doing. Like, oh exactly. He's like, and then if you didn't, like, and then you turn and he's like, well, well, what are you doing? Do you know that you're not? So he's just like, he's just outside of his car like that. Right. And I'm just <laughs> like, so he, everything, I noticed that everything he did within this film, he moved. There was never like a, huh, should I not do this? Or, huh? It was very much like, yeah, I should, I should go about this and I should do it. Like, even when um, Dr. Gonzo flipped out at, at Ellen Barkin, which you cannot tell me that um Hollywood was like, dang, we need a new Ellen Barkin and they were like Cameron Diaz. Cause she looks just like Cameron Diaz in the in like uh in the mask. Like she looks just like her. and I was just like okay Hollywood. Okay. I was like, all right. Um but when he flipped out on her, it was like he he was like, I guess it's time to go. He gathered all his things and then he took the plate and he was just like maybe I shouldn't do it. Put the, plate, put the plate back down and but that like, shows right there that shows his indifference to everything he was yeah. more in- invested in yeah. what he was writing his food and his high than he cared about yeah. anything else ever like ever ever um, what's interesting true. about hunter is that a lot of that's not true about him like he was an advocate and he was actually very staunchly anti-war and a lot of various things so much so that and you may not i'm not sure if you know anything more than he wrote this movie in a book but Hunter S. Thompson actually unalived himself uh, back in 05 uh, for political reasons. Uh, he actually did it uh, because of George Bush, uh, which is odd, uh, but it is true. He, he had claimed if George Bush got a second election that do that and did do that, which is, that's conviction for you. I can't really blame a person. Johnny was there too. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it's a, it, there's, there's a whole documentary about it, and this is something Big, Biggie brought up. But Gonzo. Yeah, it's called Gonzo, and it's sad as hell, uh, you know, because you do see somebody I mean, that you know is um, talented, but yeah, uh, that's um, it's it's brutal. I don't know. Part of me is like, what do you think? Um, like, what do you, what do you think that will ac- accomplish? You know, I don't want to like knock anybody's convictions because, you know, who are we if we don't have our convictions, things that we stand for, things mm-hmm. that we stand on. But taking your life didn't change. Like, not, like I don't know. I don't know. I don't, don't want to say anything. I don't want to disrespect or anything. I'm, I don't like disrespecting the dead or anything. But like, I just feel like maybe you could have brought more awareness through your, I know, right? Yeah, it is a lot. And I'm like, well, maybe you could have brought more awareness in your in your writing as a as an author or as your as your directing directing as direct like you know what i mean maybe you could have shed some light on some things because obviously you had a voice or obviously this was very strong a strong opinion that you had and taking yourself out does nothing but if this movie nothing. or this book because i know that a lot of the book is that's indicative of how he felt even the wave moment the the, the quote we talked about in the mm-hmm. beginning if that's yeah. pulled right from the book, which I've never read the book, and I probably should, but 
if that's pulled right from the book, then he was already crushed in the seventies and he kept by the time 2005 hit, I wouldn't, you know, I'm now still younger than he would have been then. And I'm tired in life at 45. So I can only imagine at 50 plus, you know, 55, how, how tired you are. And his mind was a lot of what we see in this film. Like that's a lot of his actual mind. So I I can't say that I could ever get inside his head enough to know why, how, or why. Yes, I get how it can be tiring because, you know, I'm tired at 35. Vicky, you got something to say. I can tell. It, It was the ultimate form of protest, you know, uh, to give your life for a cause you believe in. That's the ultimate form of protest. But, you know, it's hard for the average person to look at it that way, I think. Uh, for someone who's devoted their entire life to their writing and their stance politically and talking about, you know, the war in Vietnam and all that. And, you know, Mr. Snippets was right. The man was crushed. And uh, he was just hanging on, honestly. So, no, I, I mean, it, just yeah. suicide is the answer. I don't think it I don't think it helps anything because there's one less voice that that that's gone that probably. Right that's probably needed in like in a movement but again i under like you think with anybody that because i'm a suicide survivor so like i i i definitely understand it i definitely understand like the weight i definitely do um but i i just i told myself i would never do that again like i said i'll never try to take my life again because it's you're nobody's here on purpose i believe i really do like i don't care what parents say it's like we just had you by mistake in the back of the corvette or whatever it is like i don't think i think anybody that's lucky to make it to living is supposed to be here for a reason you are you are to contribute in some way and it might not be in a way that you know it's a huge difference in a thousand people's lives but maybe your presence saves somebody else or or maybe or maybe something I, i don't know i just First, I'm glad you're both still here. So thank you for still being pushing on. That's awesome of both of you. Second, maybe much, and I hate to, people hate when I reference M. Night Shyamalan because the mixed bag, but I love M. Night Shyamalan. And one of my favorite parts of Lady in the Water is the fact that there's this average person that becomes the muse for the person that's going to change the world, right? And I, I love that, that trope. I love that concept. Because yeah. maybe maybe one day in the future, or maybe even right now, some kid has discovered Hunter S. Thompson and read through his life, his memoirs, and is inspired by what he did. Yeah. So right. for all we know, his he he's making an impact we don't even know is here yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can still make an impact in death because I'm pretty sure there's gonna be some people that watch Heath Ledger and be like, Oh my god, I wanna be like Active, that. Or right. you know, you know, you know, I wanna I wanna do I wanna bring what he brought and things like that. And I'm not saying that, but also it's like that was 2005. That was almost 20 years ago that he passed away. Almost. And it's just like, you could probably have given more, you know. But again, I can't deduce the the the, the, the weight of this world on other people and how they can handle it. Right. So I'm not, I don't want anybody to, like, anything that I'm saying, I don't want anybody to think that I'm, like, ragging on Hunter S. Thompson. Or I'm oh, like, no, no. how dare he do such a thing? But I just, I just. I'll find as many people out in the ether. I know you. I know you guys won't judge me, but it's just like you know other humans who don't really. Well, we're gonna here. check them. We we also don't want you judging Black Girl Marvel for yeah. for this because we feel the same way. Like it's tr- it's tricky. Yeah, like, I hate that he's know, gone and that he did yeah. that, but I also understand why. I understand why he, he why he did it, and like I said, I'll never. I tried it and didn't stick, obviously, and so I said I'll never. Uh, I'll never do something like that again because I just 
I don't know. I just feel like if he gave us something like this, and, and it's again, this I don't think this is the first thing I've seen of him. I don't think. I just want, sometimes I don't pay attention to directors, which is kind of Terry sad. Gilliam. You've seen many things from. I, you just I don't be, know it. Be, oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, I know that. But I mean, like, I'm in like Hunter at Thompson. I'm just like, oh, I yeah. think I've seen him. This I, is I his really thing. Paid, this is just his haven't thing. really paid like attention to um, like his works and things like that, his writing and stuff like that. But um, oh, he wrote the Rum Diary. Yeah, yeah, that's another Johnny Depp one. So it's just yep. Um, He's playing uh, Hunter also. Yeah. Is he really? But now yeah. I have a yeah. problem with that movie, so it'll be harder for me to watch. But anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, it's but we know why. Before Fear and Loathing. Interesting. So that's Hunter before he got Thompson. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that was nice. That's um. So, I I think that because we have two other movies, and I actually think that Scanner Darkly is going to spark some pretty interesting conversation. Just as I think Philip K. Dick concepts always do. Uh, I think they're yeah. a lot grittier with more to sink your teeth into philosophically. Drug idols, gonzos mm-hmm. in the desert. Um, that should be the next name around gonzo. Drug idol yeah. gonzos in the desert. It's a title Is for anybody who wants to movie? write. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to see this movie as a Muppet movie. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but Johnny stays. Everybody else is a Muppet. Honestly, I would dig that. Yeah, I think I think Johnny could do some of his best work against the Muppets. The rule really has did. to be: you always have to have a human character. You yeah. can't just have Muppets. It works. So, yeah. although I think I think maybe Doctor Gonzo would have been even stranger if he was talking to a, a Muppet the whole time. What, what if, if Doctor Gonzo was talking to Gonzo? So Gonzo is playing Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. I would. I'll watch that. Uh, okay, so let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and rate this film and move on to the next uh, film. Or we can even hit the pre-review early. Uh, I kind of want to see what Sean's got for us. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, it's only a couple minutes tonight, but there's you know we, summer movies. There's only a handful at a time because they fill the theaters yeah. with them now. They change the way they yeah. do that. It used to be in the summer you could go watch ten different movies. Now it's three. Yeah, because they fill the theaters with you know all the screens are one movie like you. You guys suck. There's more movies yeah. than this. I know there are. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to do the preview after we rate. Uh, we'll go ahead with Black Girl Marvel. What is your rating? And if your 12-year-old self watched this movie, I would have concerns. I mean, my 12-year-old self watched a lot of things. Um, uh, and my 12-year-old self loved Johnny Depp back then, so she probably would have watched it if she was, like, privy to it. Like, if she, her mind was, like, focused on it, but she wasn't. So I don't think my... I think my 12-year-old self would have been, like, I think my honestly my twelve year old self would have stopped this in the middle of watching. I'd have been like, I'm gonna go outside and play some games. I guess like like I think like my brain would have shifted. Um, There's a lot of vomit now, in this movie. It is a lot of vomit in this movie. Um, but good transitions though. <laughs> I would say let me just say that like as a movie cinematography like wise and like direct like directorial wise like scenes how things are cut clips nicely done. Like I had no problems with that. Like I, um, usually I'm always finding something in the film where I'm like. Why did they edit? Like, like, why did they cut it? Wasn't it, you know? So this was that was fine in that aspect. Um, but if I had to rate this now, um, as an adult, I will give this. I'll give it a six point five. Because you want to revisit it. Because I want to revisit it, so I can't really give a a, a hard like. Because I'm usually like I give it a solid whatever and right. like. So this like, is a soft six five. 
this is a soft six five, and I'll have to rewatch again. And I probably won't even make a review on Letterboxd until I watch it again. But it could go up, or it could go down. It could go up. It could go up. I don't think it could go further down because I've already seen it. Like I was, I would probably weigh it, uh, rate it lower if I thought like maybe it'll be higher. But like, I got it's a soft, it's a soft six point five with a with the possibility of going maybe like a point five or one up or something. You know. Fair. Fair. How about you, Biggie? Uh, twelve-year-old me probably would have switched it onto GI Joe. So, hey. uh, but <laughs> exactly, but uh, no, adult me. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and give this a solid nine, uh, just because it's one of those movies that took place during a time and a place that was very surreal, and uh, the character in this are surreal and Terry Gilliam does a great job of conveying that to the audience. And I feel that everything from uh, the look of the cinematography to the chosen music is all there with purpose. And I feel that it, it this, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. And aside from the parts with, you know, misogynistic garbage in it, I love this film. So I will give it a solid nine. Solid nine. I like it. So myself, uh, I actually, the rating for this movie, I used to have higher. I think it's eight, five. I would say now it's come down to closer to a seven, mostly because it doesn't make sense unless you know exactly what they're dealing with. And I don't think anybody should be going out and doing what learn about it. <laughs> no. So I don't, I, you know, it's a good, like Biggie just said, it's a great snapshot in history. It's an interesting film because any film made in the 90s about the 70s is pretty succinct, but it's still a snapshot of that era. While the whole thing takes place in 71, I still think what we thought about things then is more important to what the script shows us than what 71 yeah. would have brought us with that. Um, Definitely worth watching. As, as a seven, I, that puts it up to a, a level where I would say everybody should check this film out if you're an adult. If you're not an adult, I would encourage you to wait uh, until at least you understand the themes of the film before watching right. it. Um, I'm not trying to gatekeep. People can watch stuff whenever they're ready. Right. Not up to me to decide. But that said, uh, seven is where I'm at with it now. Uh, we're going to. Can I, yeah, um, please. real quick? I been reading up on Hunter S. Thompson. I was curious about the whole school. And it seems like a lot contributed to his, his suicide. His suicide, Like, um, I guess his family said that he, he's always been kind of depressed or sad. Like, February has always been like that month for him. And um, he had issues about getting older. He said he lived 17 years past what he thought he should have. Mm -hmm. And it's just a, a lot contributed to that. So yep. I don't, you know, because I know we said it, it was like a whole like George Bush thing. I just wanted to be, yeah, I don't want it. That's what he said politically and publicly. Politically and publicly, yeah. And then, but then it's like his suicide note read something differently sure. as well. So I want to say it's like a lot of those things. And that's why I encourage people to go watch together. the documentary because yeah. I'm not trying to speak for, sure. for all the for details. Sure. And I just wanted to throw that out there. Like it, it, it's, I'm pretty sure George Bush because I'm depressed too when I see George Bush talking. Um, so um, or I'm other sure presidents Bush, <clears throat> or other presidents really. I, um, so I figure it's him and then it's other factors in his life that are that accumulated because they said he's always suffered um, 
Um, he's like, he had years of alcohol and cocaine abuse that attributed to his depression, which kind of makes sense if you watch Fear and Loathing. You're like, oh, well. No, I'm pretty sure he did everything he talked about in that book. Everything. He, oh, maybe I, not to the extent, sure. but he so, did no, do but it. Sure. But he did do it. Like over time, maybe not like how they did it pretty much in like a weekend or a week or however it was, two days. But I'm pretty sure he did. So I just, I just wanted to say there was a lot. Thick. You were gonna say something? Oh, I was just saying. I was just saying. Wait till you watch the Rum Diaries. Gives you a little more insight into Hunter's. Uh, well, his earlier years, not young years, but his earlier years. All right, all right. Great, great flick. Since we hit the topic, I would think it would be interesting to have a certain couple of individuals alive today. Hunter S. Thompson being one of them, George Carlin being another to see where we're at now and what they would have to say about that. Those are a yeah. couple of voices I would be just to, to be a fly on the wall for a minute. Um, so yeah, just had to put that out there. We're going to move on to the pre-review, lighten it up a little bit. Uh, the movies get lighter-ish. Okay, no, they don't. These movies aren't that light. What's up, Mr. Muncie? We're about to go to the pre-review. Check this out. How's it going, real steady viewers? I'm Sean, and I'm back with this week's pre-review. Sorry I took some time off. Things got kind of crazy with school ending and a change of schedule, but I'm hoping that I finally came up with a schedule that will allow me to make this a steady part of my week. So, real steady viewers, here we go with this week's pre-review. Here's three films I think you will enjoy. First, let's let the nostalgia hit as Paramount Plus brings us Beavis and Butthead Do the Universe. I was a huge Mike Judge fan growing up. I loved Beavis and Butthead. I always thought their humor was so funny. Yes, I know where Bald Knob, Arkansas is. After a judge sentences Beavis and Butthead to outer space, they end up going through a black hole and end up in 2022. This looks like it will be a wild ride the way any Beavis and Butthead movie would be, and I cannot wait to watch it. Coming to theaters this week, Scott Derrickson is going to bring us Black Phone. Now, this is starring Ethan Hawke, and let me just say, I think we are watching an actor that has been through many trials and tribulations and is reaching the golden years of acting. I love Ethan Hawke, and I'm really thinking that this horror movie is going to be amazing. When a young boy gets kidnapped, he finds himself in a soundproof basement, and the only thing ringing is a phone on the wall that doesn't work. But is it help from the victims from the past? This looks like it'll be a great wild ride, and I'm definitely going to watch it. And the final theatrical film this week is Elvis. Boz Lorman is going to bring to life the story of Elvis Presley growing up in Tupelo, Mississippi. Tom Hanks is going to play the man, the Colonel, Tom Parker. I cannot wait to watch this. Austin Butler looks like he's doing a great job as Elvis. Love Elvis's music, dislike Elvis's music. You cannot deny his influence and the changes he brought around to the music industry and how it even affects the music we listen to today. This looks like an incredible story, and I'm definitely going to see it. All right, Real Study viewers, I'm Sean, and I'll see y'all next time. And that was Sean with the pre-review. Three new films coming out this summer for you guys to check out, and they are looking good still. Movies are still getting made, and they still look good. I haven't given up on film yet. Um... But let's move on to the next movie. The next movie being The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. This is another Terry Gilliam film. This was Heath Ledger's final film before his tragic death 
uh, in 2000, I think it was seven. Am I wrong on that? I feel like I'm wrong. Ledger? I want to say 2008. 2009 or eight. Yeah. So eight. I think it was this was the one he, you know, obviously we heard about his death right before The Dark Knight came out. So, of course, that had an impact mm -hmm. on how we all viewed that. But this was technically the last film he was filming. He wasn't actually even done filming when he passed. So they what? actually tried to figure out a way to still show his final performance by having a few of his friends, including Johnny Depp, as we mentioned earlier, Colin Farrell. Uh, yeah, that's right. Colin Farrell, as well as uh, Jude Law, come in to play the same character, but in different iterations of, of Dr. Parnassus's patient. Uh, Dr. Parnassus is played by Christopher Plummer. We've got Valentina played by Lily Cole. And then, of course, the amazing Andrew Garfield uh, playing Anton, who is like the sideshow spokesperson, I guess, in a sense. Um, anyway, so there's my intro for the film. Biggie, what was your first impressions of Imaginary Dr. Parnassus? My first impression when I first watched it, uh, see, I had actually just purchased it without watching it. I purchased the DVD and I was like, okay, I'm going to watch it tonight. So take it home, watch it immediately. I'm like, I got to watch this again <laughs> because there's so much to take in. Terry Gilliam has uh, this uh, sense of movie magic about him. And this story is very much in his uh in his in his world uh, of, of surrealism, and he he brought it forth, and I, I I don't know how to phrase it. Like just the look of this film, especially whenever they're going into the I guess the Imaginarium, uh, especially that it's just like everything is so like what it's wondrous, it's wondrous and beautiful. But also this movie has times when it's dark and scary too. So. I don't know. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, this is probably uh, Heath Ledger's finest acting, honestly. He's He's been in a few other ones. I know that he got the Oscar for, you know, The Dark Knight, but I feel like this movie, he did so much better. And I loved that they brought in, you know, Jude Law and Johnny Depp and Colin Farrell. They all did excellent jobs, respectively. Right. Lala. Um... I'm a huge Heath Ledger fan, so um, his death really affected me, which I'm like, didn't know the guy, but it still affected me. Um, yeah. There's only been a couple of actors throughout history who, like, passed away, and I'm just like, it kind of hurt me in a way. I was just like, or like famous people, I'll say. Um, and Heath Ledger is, one, like, one of them. Like, I have read a biography. Like, I have a biography of him that's so tattered because I've read it so many times. Y'all know that, like, I really like to read books and stuff. Like, as crazy as that sounds, but it's, I'm more of a visual person, but... um. This movie, uh, this film was very interesting. Um, it was very bright and beautiful and colorful, but also dull at times. So that was an interesting, like, it was like bright, dull colors, you know, like on the outside. And then when you went into his, uh, the Imaginarium, it's it brighter depending on where you at because it's like, you know, the devil has part of it. And then, um, the concept of the story is like, I feel like it's one that's kind of like told before of like selling your soul to the devil and you know, you get something out of it, but it's, it's kind of like the whole like um, in lore with genies, you don't make wishes with genies because they always turn on you in some way. And so, and usually that's how the devil works. If you make a, you sell your soul to the devil or if you give, if you make a bargain with the devil, like something, um, it's not as clean or clear cut as you would like it to be. Like to me, that's a trope that's 
that that's used a lot. Um, but what makes this one a little bit better is the fact that it's 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 um the imaginarium part of it, right? Like the the going inside this 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 guy's this immortal man's like mind and seeing over the years that he's lived all these things that like are accumulating in his mind and and the way I was looking at it was like he could maybe he could feed off of other people's because he was giving people people if people chose imagination like like those ladies were choosing imagination it's like they're so telling we didn't get to see what they saw which I wish we could have seen what like their imagination created because I'm assuming that one even even though it's his his imaginarium it's like once you're in you're connected so you can imagine some things you can bring some things to the forefront because essentially Heath Ledger's character does that towards the end like he brings his own trauma into the imaginarium um I thought it was very interesting I got I this was a film again that was like chaos chaotic but I could follow the pieces um a little bit better than fear and loathing me personally I don't think this is the best that Heath Ledger did but also it's because it's only half of his half of his performance if we were able to see maybe everything throughout like him throughout the entire film as as these different versions that he was supposed to be then maybe even though I don't think that's how it was set up, it was only set up like that after he passed away, which I still think in this imaginary world, it works very well. Mm-hmm. I feel like he couldn't really do this with a lot of films. Um, I won't say this is his best. He didn't do bad. I don't think he did. Like, that's just me personally. No no offense to you, Biggie, or anything like that. But um, I, I, I enjoyed what he brought forth. I enjoyed that the other actors were able to keep the feel that Heath Ledger had and to the point where I wasn't like, oh, this is, they're different. Like he didn't feel different as Johnny Depp, as Colin Farrell, as Jude Law. He didn't feel different. He Johnny felt like you could barely tell. It was listen here. I Biggie, a Biggie, Nitty, y'all rhyming. I can't do it. Nitty, this is this is why this is why it's kismet, man. It was times where Heath Ledger um, would do something, and I would be like, why does he look like Johnny Depp? And then Johnny Depp would do something in his his like limited scene, and I would be like. Why does he look like he's much? It's like they. Oh, yeah. Before you like, even see Johnny, had, right? You see you're him, like, like, that was that John? No, that's Heath Ledger. I that's did that Heath a couple Le- times. You know, it's, it's because it's like they both. He Heath Ledger gave a very. Um, Heath Ledger gave a very um, Johnny Depp like s performance to me. Like I could easily see Johnny Depp be the lead of this film. And I mean, I, I don't think yeah. I would be like. Yeah. I don't think it would be like way better or way worse. But I could see like. I can see why they asked Johnny to come in too. How do we know he wasn't offered the role and Heath took it? Like, cause that happens. Like Johnny could have been like, no, I'm doing X at this time, you know? And and Heath was like, I'll take it. But then when Heath died, Johnny's like, oh, I'll do it. I imagine all four of the actors that are in this movie were auditioned for it or something. Yeah. Probably. But also, but I also think that they, if I remember correctly from when it happened, they, they, um, they, um, they, and because they had respect for Heath, they came in and did the, the film. Because I think a lot of people were, um, uh, they were kind of like hesitant at first, and then they were like, "This is like an homage to him. Like we're not gonna, we're not gonna let this his last film kind of drop because of like what happened." And I just, I don't know. I just think like if Johnny was the lead in this, I think it would still be just as just as good as a film because like it was they blended very well and how he looked and the ponytail and how he acted and it it was very like I don't know if he pulled from Johnny or or Johnny from him i don't know but everybody's performance was very it was very seamless to me and that's what i yeah. really liked about it i couldn't tell the difference between Keith as 
Tony or George, as she called him. I was like, ooh, she sucks at naming people because he don't look like no George to me. I didn't know his name was Tony, but he didn't look like a George to me. Um, but they're, they're, I think that, to me, was like the best part was seeing, because I knew the hype behind this movie. I knew what went into it. I knew he passed away. I knew these actors came in to take his place. I was really excited to see how each acted in the in his in his stead, and I think they did like very very well. All right, I, I and I agree with you. Uh, well, well said. Um, it, I I think that this this film probably would not have done as well. I hate to say it, had Heath not passed away, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean it that this is a much mean. more of an art house style picture. Yeah. Movie is not for everyone. And people wouldn't have went to have gone right. to see it, and be, but because he died, they were like, "I want to see what he did." His last movie. Agreed. Agreed. And Terry Gilliam isn't like a draw everybody to the theater kind of director. Mm-hmm. Like he got mm-hmm. a niche audience and makes niche yep. films. And that's fine. That's what he does. He does much more mm-hmm. odd films. Um, what I think is interesting about this film is that it doesn't feel like it takes place today. And yet it 100% takes place today. Like it takes place in 2009 when it was, you know, brought out, but it always feels like they're sitting in the 1800s somehow, like in a different era because of the way that our cast is dressed and the way that they're acting as street performers. There is a bit of a, there's a downside to this film in some degree. It feels like they've taken the Romany lifestyle and co-opted it into this English family's way of living. And so instead of it being a traveling English family, it feels like a giant Romany style uh, carriage and performance. Even the tarot cards is kind of racist in that sense. Um, There are definitely some questionable things but you know again this was made in 2009 before much of what we've tried to do with film has changed and so it's not a judgment call it's much more of just a i noticed uh as i was watching uh and wouldn't have noticed that 20 years ago or 10 years ago yeah um but it did stand out to me that said though uh i do like that although we love heath technically the bad guy and i like that i love that, that we I love couldn't that tell so that much. right away because he felt like a good yeah. guy and even as they were showing him being you know as he figured out who he was pretty quickly even he yeah. didn't necessarily know he was a bad guy until he looked deeper inside himself um i i think anton helps him with that too <laughs> i agree i love yeah. andrew garfield and every time i see him on screen i understand why the guy brings it in everything. I swear he learned that sleight of hand stuff. At least it seemed like it to me uh, to, to act like the street performer. And he he embodied that part really well, especially when he walked up as the like the the like tree monster the little, thing, like the, like the little mon- with yeah. the, the cow head. Like, and mm-hmm. then I'm like, oh, and then it's, it's, I'm like, that's Spider Man in that thing. That's weird, um, right? <laughs> uh, I love that he's like the. There's something charismatic about Andrew Garfield. Like there's something extremely charismatic. I think he could, he could get on screen or stage and just say something crazy, and he'll smile. And you're like, oh, that's amazing. So, for him to be like the first person you see of the cast, like he's the first person you see. So when he comes out, if you've never seen this film before and you've seen our Andrew Garfield or something, when you because this happened for me when he came out behind the the, the curtain, I was like. Oh, I was excited. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to enjoy this film. Like, I immediately was like, oh, okay, it's Andrew Garfield. Like, right. it's going to be a bad film. Like, so I immediately had that connection to it. Now, I'm pretty sure when you saw it in 2009, you didn't 
Maybe you did know who Andrew I was. I had seen because Social Network, was, but he that was it. He hadn't done Spider Man. Right, yet. because he was on um right. I saw him on uh he was in Doctor Who. He was in he was a uh, in two thousand five, he was in Doctor Who. So like I think I would have but I wouldn't have been like Andrew Garfield. because like, I've never I haven't seen the charismatic oh, no. part of him. Social network you know, was a year he, later, my bad. Because he was um oh yeah, it came out too. Like he was um I think I would have recognized him from um Doctor Who, but the fact that I know him as this like charismatic character from Spider Man, it just it lended itself to this. I, don't know, I just think Andrew Garfield can't do no wrong for the most part. I'm with I am hundred percent with <laughs> like you. He, and I, I feel like he puts a lot into what he does. I didn't remember he was in this until I watched it today. And as I was watching it, it's like oh and he's playing Mercury, which I was like, Oh, that's great. So not only has yeah. he played Spider Man, but now he's played Mercury. Um so right. he's he's just getting all over the place with the, the you know, fantasy characters. Um this seems to be, yeah, this was his big first role. Yeah. Other than this, TV, I didn't know that TV, this was a Terry, Terry Gilliam film. I didn't know this was. He was in the other Boleyn girl, but under no uh, under uh, uh, no credits, essentially. Yeah, he wasn't credited, I don't think. And then a couple more TV shows, and then this movie. And then from this yeah. movie, he got um, a couple others. Like, um, like Andrew so his performance in this I mean, got him social network to some degree. Yeah. Oh. And I didn't know Terry Gillum directed this and he directed Fairlope. So it's like it's funny, it's like it's two directed by Terry, two starring Vern Troy, two starring uh, Johnny <laughs> Depp. And I bet you we could probably find more connections. Um I'm pretty sure. I mean we could start getting into producers um, yeah. and start finding even more oh, connections. Easy, easily start getting into producers. Um I will say that I I, I love Christopher Plummer because of um sound of music. Um, I love me some Christopher Palmer. Um, but I was literally watching this film and this thought popped in my head. I was like, somebody with the gravitas of Christopher Plummer decided to do this. I was like, so part of me was like, the film, because I was watching it and I was just like, this, I don't know, I don't know about this film. I was really going like, I don't know about this film. And then I was like, if somebody like with Christopher Plummer's like background, like his, how he, like his, his performances, how he acts, signed up for this film. It has to be something in this film that I'm not paying attention to. So maybe look at it harder. It made me pay attention harder because I'm like, I I I respect Trisha Palmer as an actor, as a, as a performer. Like I said, I love it. So I was like, it made me watch harder because mm-hmm. I was like, if he signed on, if he decided that this was something he had to do, I'm missing something. And so I once I looked harder, and I found the story between like the father and the daughter. Um, again, all the other tropes of like the devil and stuff like that, like pushed aside or to this with like a father and a daughter and him not even real and him being a man of like immortality. That's kind of like, um, um, I feel like he's jaded in some ways. Like, I don't care about my life because I just want to do this thing, but then it's not your life anymore because you have this daughter now, you know what I mean? So it's like, you have to like, now you have to prioritize and I have to think. And then it's like the weight and the guilt and the drinking and the, this is why you can't succeed and this is why you're eating scraps because it's just like you know the things you've done you know what's coming next and like and so so when i got to that aspect of the film became way more enjoyable fair that's fair um i i do like the devil portion of this i generally enjoy most movies the devil shows up and he's acting in a less conventional style way and picking tom mm-hmm. waits as the devil oh, yeah. was a brilliant move yeah, because he's good. smooth. He's got that great voice and yeah. his mannerisms don't make you feel it's, it's like it's the devil. It's something 
effortless you know, about him. Right. And, but there's still something on about yeah. him, right? And yeah, so yeah. I, I like that they, you know, it's just two dudes betting over a few thousand years about things. And the devil yeah. keeps egging him on, like, you want to bet again? And that's just the devil's way of getting more souls, you know? And I thought that that was interesting. Uh, I did think it was interesting yeah. that the way for the doctor to get souls was to essentially let you go into his mind, steal your soul. Uh, and Correct. I would assume channel that to the devil. I'm not, he's not giving those to God or anything. It didn't make sense to me. Um, and about, you said in earlier about the, the way that the Imaginarium works. From what I gathered, you're, it's whoever's brain is in there is what's being projected. And the, the yeah. doctor is basically in a meditative state to allow that to happen. And then if he chooses to get involved, he's much like Neo in the Matrix where he can like take over yeah, and do what he wants. Yeah, like when he becomes like a balloon and all right, that kind of stuff right. and things like that, yeah. But other than that, the only reason, the reason that they said no more than two, or no more than one person at a time is because whatever the dominant brain would be over and of course, you see this mm -hmm. pony, Al, and Val how that all breaks end, down. Yeah. Um, which, she's an interesting looking woman. Uh, she is not your standard, conventionally looking, beautiful girl, um, but there is something well, about a, her. She's a model. She's a model in right. real life. So, like, that's, you automatically assume models are, like, beautiful. And it's, like, very, she's she's very, like, um, alien-ish in her right, life. Right, right. But still beautiful. Oh, like, yeah. there's no, still, no, she's, still beautiful, she's yeah. definitely, but they picked the person to accent accent the kind of aesthetics of the film, which are, beautiful yeah. but with sharper edges in a sense and yeah that's, you know and i think right. she she embodies that um happy father's day marley and welcome uh, we have not seen you on the show in a while sir i know happy good to father's see you day. here uh and hashtag oscar isaac um daddies, daddies. <laughs> okay <laughs> what about a zaddy you guys know what a zaddy is yeah okay i figured you did anyway come on so yeah i guess it's I don't even want to say that out loud. Never mind. I'm not even, I almost said that. No, no. So welcome. Oh, I wish you would have said it. No, I'm not going to say it. Um, it is interesting still, again, this is another one of those films where we're talking about a film in 2009 and yet this girl is 16 and yet two grown ass men are being sent after her. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm just like, I was just, a, uh, you said it before I could say it. I just, because I was like, yeah. People always talk about these films or talk about these actors, and they're they're always like, well, how, how how why would they play this character? This is like people always have some kind of like uproar about it. But I'm assuming that because he died, you know, everybody kind of left Heath Ledger alone. But he's a grown man, and she's I mean, and I know she's not technically 16, but her character is still 16. No, her character's 15. Oh, well, she turns 16 in the movie at the last minute, yeah, she, like, yeah, but she's she 15 turned, through most of the movie. Still, She's a child, whichever way you want to slice it. She's a kid, and you kind of forgive the devil because he's the devil, and he's that's his job. Angelus, essentially, he's right. immortal; yeah. like he he doesn't care. But Tony, but obviously, you he would you can tell he don't care about kids neither. So well, yeah, and he's a bad guy. Sense. We know he's so the bad guy. Right, right, he right. will go after a child because he don't care about kids no way. Like look at the whole charity thing that he went to. So, but I, I still was kind of like, oh, nobody said anything about it. Well, and there is a moment, there is a section where she says it's the age of consent. And I'm like, well, this is a British no, film. Well, it's not an American film. It's taken, know, it's it takes not. place in Britain. It's shot in Britain by British actors, British director, British producer. So it's, it's hard. I don't know their laws at all. And 
whatever. I don't care. I'm assuming, um, you know, other states like they people drink and smoke at way right, younger ages. Right. So in, it's in possible. And oh, so it, it, it could be our society judging a still different gross. society's films. Exactly. Still, um, still judging. Still judging, all, all all fair and all true. Um, but I just thought it was interesting because even Andrew Garfield's character, you know, might have been twenty, maybe, yeah, maybe eighteen. Maybe, but we're like we're pushing it, like we're really that, pushing yeah. it. So um, I'll say he's between eighteen and twenty, but that's still like still grown, right? And that, and you know? of course, the dad, Doctor Parnassus, has no issue with any of this. It seems because uh, he even knows there's a crush. No, he has you know? a, he has an issue. He was. Um, he had an issue with Andrew Garfield's character. He, I don't think he paid attention to Tony's character because he was so charismatic that everybody kind of got like drawn into but him. But it wasn't his age. Time. It was where Andrew's character, where Anton's character was in life. It was more who he was rather than bothered yeah. Dr. From what I gathered, again, I mean, but if you think about that, Dr. Parnassus was, was uh, hundreds of years old when he, met her, when he met the mother, which I will say this though, hmm. I don't like, this is what I do not like. I don't like this. And, and I don't know. Don't like when they do the casting thing when like the kid's mother is the kid. Did the they do that in this like, movie? Did I miss that? So, yeah, so like her mother was her. The photo, it was, yeah. Like, it was played by her. Like when he goes when they when he's talking about it and he like the woman that walks down the street and she puts the money and it's which is the correlation from the beginning to the end. She puts the money. It's it's her, but it's her mother essentially. I never like when they do things like that because it gives me it makes me uneasy because like your father fell in love with the woman with your face and then you come out looking it's just weird it's just like it's like how can you know that the father won't be attracted to his daughter because he looks she looks just it's a weird thing for me i just can't i just never like that i'm like i get it that's like lazy act it's like like we want to save money we want to pay another person to come in and do this little scene especially if it's one scene i mean Especially if it's one scene, and I get that, but change her look up in some way, because even though I look like my mom, I'm not a carbon copy of my mom. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that there couldn't be. No, like, my girls weird. look like me and my wife, not just my wife. Right. right. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just weird, because it's just like, he loved his face. He was in, he had sex with his face. <laughs> Your daughter has the exact same face. It was just, I don't, like, you could have given her, like, you know, like heavy lids or made her face different or I don't something different. It just different color hair. Very different color hair. Something it just made me very uneasy when I watched That's it. I was like, this is weird. I was Terry like, Gilliam films are known for making people uneasy. That's what he's known for doing. Oh, I'm sure. His job I like, is. That was gross. And, and and gross is also part of what. Um, yeah. So Biggie? this is not the only movie like that. Yeah, Biggie, please. Uh, age of consent in the UK sixty. It is. I just looked it up. Yeah. Wait, so, say it again? So they were, the yeah, movie was in the right. UK is 16. In British, in Britain or London or whatever? Apparently. Yeah, the UK. United Kingdom. In the UK. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Cause I think, like, I think they can drink alcohol around the same age or, like, maybe, like, a little bit younger. Yeah, I didn't look into like, that, but I, I think I forget it's what a teen it is. too. Yeah. yeah, it's in a team. Like, they can do a lot of stuff. Like, they give their kids, like, a lot of autonomy. And, like, Americans, we repress and then we wonder why, you know, we are the land of the prudes yeah no in, yeah. even in, when i was younger i had german uh, as a class and my german teacher was from germany and she'd be like oh yeah at 14 my dad would send me down to get beers because i'd be like it's for my dad and they would believe her and she would mm -hmm. take it home and she didn't drink it i mean she literally took it home to her dad but that's yeah. how mild they are and something about it it's just interesting because it, it, we're literally talking about a film from another culture so like as much as it's yeah, still a sure. bunch of white people culture and it's definitely 
my descendant of English, you know, folks, uh, it's still weird and still I think important to bring up. Which we have. Well, also, like, if it wasn't weird in America, we wouldn't call it weird. So it's just one of those things where it's like, I grew, I'm 35 years old and I grew up with 18 is like an age in which you can do some stuff. And then 21 is an age where you can do some stuff too. And then after that, you can do whatever the hell you want to do. But like, not any time before that. <laughs> Essentially, you know, um, unless you got some type of consent from your parents. I mean, that's what it is. Like, so I don't know. I just, I mean, she seemed real excited to be like, Asia, cause shit. Like, she was so ready to have sex with like a grown man, too. Like, that's like, it wasn't like she got duped into doing this. She, she set out to do this. And, and, and again, it's one of those things. It's, it's like that trope where like, you kind of go for the guy that you know is bad because come on, you've been, you know, he's, you know, he's a little off. I know she's a little naive. I know because like she, she's growing up in this traveling like circus and her father doesn't really give her any. And the only men you know are the three men in which are in this room with you. Or like, you know. Yeah, you got Percy, her dad, and Anton. Anton's, Anton's like the and, default, right? Exactly. So it's just like you don't want to go for the default, even though you probably should because he's been nothing but a gentleman. He's nice. He doesn't take advantage of you. He doesn't. He, he encourages you to do your own he thing. And be yourself. You. He's like, if you, he's like, if you want to leave, let's just go together. I'll go with you. Like, we can, you know what I mean? Like he's none of these things. But then somebody comes in a little more attractive than him, you know, a little older, built different. Uh, no, literally like a little, a little. And it's only because Andrew hadn't like, grown into being a full man yet. That's why. No, exactly. And, and you're like, you know, so she kind of like went and, him herself again doesn't give him carte blanche to be like 16 year old let's get it he's like 30 like so like that's weird but it's like she wasn't I, the only thing i guess i could take out of this is she wasn't a victim is, is i think my point and even with the devil she was like out for my for my dad i'll 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 guess i'll eat this i'll go to hell then. i'll i'll and for you know the devil if it's no game he doesn't want no parts of it like, is this easy i didn't want it to be that's boring He's got eternity to spend screwing with people. I'd get bored exactly. too. Right? But I honestly feel I feel like I feel like there's not a lot of immortal humans or immortal people, period. And I really feel like the devil his his best friend was like Parnassus. Like I really feel like that was his best friend. Right. It's well yeah. Like we've been we've been playing this for, for centuries. We've played this for like years. Like it's it's been what we do and nothing has gotten in the way, but now this child will. Like my kid will get in the way of this game that we've been playing for a while. You know what I mean? Like I get some souls, you get some souls and before. Because he said something like, your dad would like, he's like, your dad would hate me. And I was like, why would the devil care? I was like, oh, that's your best friend. Like, oh, okay. And just like snapped. I was like, you care about him being mad because that's your best friend and you don't want him to be mad. So I was like, okay. So let's right. let's talk about the the story aspect of the story. So one of my favorite parts of the film is the beginning when they're sitting in the uh, monastery and they're talking about how these monks are here telling the story of life so mm -hmm. that the story of life can continue. And the devil comes in and goes, ha ha ha, I'm going to stop all of this to prove you are wrong. And then, and then our character, Dr. Parnassus stops and goes, yes, but you can't stop the story. It's being told all over the world. People are stories all the time. And I'm sitting there going, oh, this is why I love film. This film is literally saying film has to exist for us to exist. And I like that. I, I glommed yeah, right on like that. that. Yeah. I like that part when he said that I got, I like, I was when he said, I wanted to know what his excuse would be too. I was kind of like the devil in this moment. I was like, "Well, he did stop y'all from talking, so he kind of proved y'all right." And then he, he, he kind of proved y'all wrong. But then 
for him to be like, no, because the, the, obviously if it hasn't ended, somebody else is telling the story. And I was like, well, that makes sense because people tell stories like, all the time, and it's like in different hemispheres, different places. And I was just like, oh. I was like, that's not right. Like, that's <laughs> yeah. Who did the best job, uh, Biggie, between the three actors that played Tony? Ooh, I don't know. I really enjoyed Colin Farrell as Tony. I liked his segment when he was in the Imaginarium. Uh, I, I think uh, I think all of them brought the same kind of chemistry that and the and the demeanor that Heath had uh, with you know what's in Tony's real mind, of course. And uh, all of these men are uh, you know uh, ripoff artists, con artists, and uh, well. It's only one guy, Tony. Sorry, but um, is it? He's yeah. a, he's a con artist, and this this show the the one with Colin Farrell. I think it's awesome because it shows exactly what Tony did, you know. So I think that part of the story. Uh, I don't I don't want to spoil it. You guys can if you want, uh, but this is a spoiler show. So that's what spoilers. Well, you know, spoilers. The, the fact that he took from children and. And, you know, then then he did the thing he does with the pipe in his throat and then, eh, you know, that yeah. was just that was a great segment showing you exactly who he is. Yeah. yeah. Now, I'm, I mean, I feel like all three, I think all three encompass a different part of him. Right. That's Definitely. what I was going to say. They were they were different but versions of Tony. The Tony that it we see with Heath now. is yeah. the complete fake. And then the other three are little glimpses. Um, yes, yeah. Because right. because his his character each time we see a different version, it ramps up. It's like when we see Johnny Depp's character, he's just exploring the Imaginarium. He's like, I've never been here before, but he's still working his con man thing on the woman. Actually, saves her life inadvertently. <laughs> he saves her life, and so like, and then and then like when you see when you see um, Jude Law's character, he's like, he's fully immersed in this world. He's like, okay, but I can escape now. I can leave. Like this is a part of him that wants to go because like when he was getting closer and closer, he's like, I've never been that happy. I've never experienced that type of sensation. Like you saw this part of him. And then we get to Colin Farrell's character, you see the complete like dick that he is. You see like who he actually kinda is. Like yeah. he, he smacked a woman. He would he he would hit a child. He did he would all, steal you know, from he, children. He would steal from children. You see all these things that he you see everything that he is encompassed in one and I don't know. I just thought it was really good. I felt like it was very smart on, I'm just going to say Terry and Co, because I don't know, you know, how everything went behind the scenes, but I just think it was very smart on them to be like, oh, okay, our principal actor passed away. Let's figure out how we can do this. Okay, this is an imaginary world. Maybe people see what they want to see. Maybe people see what they need to see, and they'll never see him, because again, he's a comment. He wears many faces, right. so when he's in this world, his face continues to change. And so I think that was and even the like, Russians noticed. This. Yeah, it was still the, the same Russians, guy. We like, know you, but we don't. They, know they, you. they were like, "It's you, but it's not you." And then when they wiped his forehead, and they were like, "It's string him up, it's him." Like they right. just, you know. So it's just I, I like that they were able to, in the midst of this tragedy, still figure out a way to make this story make sense. Because if you come into this movie not knowing what happened to Heath Ledger, you wouldn't think any. You wouldn't miss. You would beat. think this you is what it was meant to be. You would think this right. is what it was meant to be, and I think that's a testament to like, because of our they they said that they stopped production stopped for a while, and they they, yeah. they they stopped for a while to figure out what they can do, how they can do it, and I think they 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 did it in a very very seamless way.
something. And Johnny Depp, Jula, and Colin Farrell donated their the money that they made from this film. They gave it to his daughter. Yeah. So it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Awesome. They gave it to Heath Fletcher's daughter. So I thought that was like even, and that just shows you they didn't have to do this film, but they did it for Heath and they did it for his family. I think. Any final thoughts? It's it's a rewatcher. <laughs> it takes more than one watch. Yeah. I say I just I was just saying I'd say at least watch it a couple of times because I swear the second time I watched it I found so much more that I had missed just because there's so much going on in the background especially when they're in the Imaginarium right. you know and uh, also I really like and don't get me wrong on this uh, but you know they're all the same character but it also I think it kind of pays tribute to Parnassus himself because he's lived for so long, he's had to do different things to survive. You know, I don't know. I just think it kind of mirrors that. I always thought that was kind of... Well, he's had to be many people too. Exactly. We've seen him be a street performer, a monk. We've seen him as Mm -hmm. an unsuccessful homeless person. Like we've seen, we've seen the gambit from him as well. So yeah, there is a a sense of that. Um, Yeah. Yeah, the and uh, the the casting of Tom Waits, like like you guys said, as the devil. Oh man, that's just one of the most perfect castings, I think. Uh, he's just great in everything. In fact, I was just listening to some Tom Waits before we uh, before we got on live here. So, yeah. well, before I got on with Snitty. I like when I, I like when people play the devil as not the devil that we think we know. Mm-hmm. Because as a as a as a person who has like read the Bible, has read the description of the devil and what he is, he doesn't come with like hooven clothes and like horns, and he comes to you as like a man or a woman or somebody. Which I need a woman devil, by the way. Anyway, bedazzled. Something better. Can <laughs> we get another one? <laughs> but um. But I just need like a I just need like a female I just, I just need like a female devil I digress but I'm saying this to say that like I like the portrayal of the devil when it's it's more closely related to like the earthly kind of way like I guess I'll say earthly yeah. way because like like the like the devil gives you what you think you need right he gives you like um like like things that are fleeting and he makes you feel like you wanted to do it you want to scrap it so like or you go the opposite way and be like, um, what is his name? Peter uh, from Constantine. When he plays the devil in Constantine, it's it was just a slimy, like almost yeah. cancerous type of devil, yeah. you know, toxic. Like I'm, you know, and that's and that's great. But then you'll go to like Al Pacino and the Devil's Advocate, and he was like the suavest, like devil. <laughs> You yeah. so okay. There's so many names. There's Sorry. So many. I got so, listen. I have so many, man. Like even the TV, like supernatural TV show. The or Lucifer. Devil, you know, or Lucifer. Like he was like that, but that was a Lucifer. I feel like that was a Lucifer. <laughs> that was a whole different Lucifer. <laughs> I think but that that man I, has attracted many a lady to his, oh his following. Yes. But I just feel like I like it when it's when it's like a devil that like even um. Little Nicky, like the guy that played the devil in Little Nicky, was like, it was comedic. It was very off the, you know, it's like off the beaten path of what you think the devil would be, but it's still like aligns with like what I've read about. So it was just like I like when people 
don't do the obvious. You know what I mean? Like I like it. I like it when the devil wears a top hat and he's smoking. And he's like, come on, man. Let's go have some fun and just because people draw you in like that. Like humans draw you in to their shenanigans just by being regular people. And I feel like why wouldn't it, like it's been working for all these humans? The devil was like, I'll, I'll do it too. Well, the I'll devil's a, a psychologist, if anything. He's been watching the way humans oh, act, man. and he knows exactly how to get man. in their ear and change them. And let's, he's been let's, influencing the way we act too. So I just think it's you know. He's I want to leave time for Scanner Darkly because it's 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 a it's a film that oh, yeah, deserves it. Yeah, so. Well, it's, you you literally watched all but ten minutes of the film, so um, we're not going to ruin much for you. It's just going to all make sense. So let's rate this really quickly and move on. Uh, I actually give this movie a six and a half. <gasps> Don't think I'm going to run back and watch it again after this. Respect. But I think everybody should watch. It. Respect. That's where I'm at, Biggie. Um, I'm gonna give it a solid eight. Uh, I I do like it. I watch it maybe once a year, I think. Yeah, I don't think I watched it this year yet. But uh, I don't know. I just think the story is something that uh, obviously draws to something within me. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I just really enjoy it, and I, I hope others watch it and get as much enjoyment out of it. Yeah. All right. Lala. Um, I give it a seven. I give it a solid seven. It's, to me, it's rewatchable. Maybe not like tomorrow, but it's because but, it's a heavy film. <laughs> like I can't do that tomorrow. Um, but I give it a seven. I feel like it's I feel like it's rewatchable. Um, I feel like it's I feel like it's entertaining, and I feel like it has enough story with the whimsy to keep you kind of like in it and and wondering like, okay, so how does this world work? So what comes next? And all that stuff because they don't really, you know. And it's just a nice story. Like it ends very well. Like I love that. Even though I was curious. It's been a few years. That's all I could figure. I know it's been a few years because obviously the, the child, you could you could probably start by the child's age to kind of like get for how many years. But I'm just curious, like, and that's this is just me as a person wanting to know everything about everything. Just like, how did they get out of that life? Like how like when he gave her her soul back, like what did they do? Did they see that their did she think that her dad was dead? And then she just was like, okay, let's go live this. I just want to know what happened in that. I feel like a short story could be told of like when her soul got back and then like how her and Andrew ended up in this place with their child. Because like the way that the timeline works in the his mind is that he's been walking around for like however long then happened to just pop up to literally see her do what her, what her mother did to him. And I'm like, did she know that that was him? Was she not really paying attention? Like, I don't think she knew because I'm pretty sure she knew she probably would have said something, which is why uh, Percy was like, you're not about to you about to ruin the vibe, are you? Like, just chill out for a minute type of thing. Um, but I would have just loved to have seen that. But that's just me. That's I guess that's just me wanting more, like wanting more scenes. And sometimes you don't get that. You, you got to use it, your head cannon to fill that. Yeah, in. yeah, but I have, but I have so much head cannon to be like, it could be this. That's what fan fiction is. I have a multiverse of head cannon. That's all I write is fan fiction. I'm just, but yeah. I'm just saying. I mean, you know. Write a little Dr. Parnassus fan fiction and then figure out how Terry Gilliam does his art style and mimic it in an art book. Yeah. That could be intense. I could so, do the fan fiction part. I could do the fan fiction part because I can describe things very well. So I could describe it in a Terry Gilliam-esque way in my writing. So we have one half hour. I would like to move on to A Scanner Darkly, which Darkly. is... The final film in our evening's film pursuit, if you will, or review. 
Uh, we will be reviewing, like I said, uh, Doctor uh, Strange and the Mad Multiverse of Madness, as well as Everything Everywhere All at Once. Those are both really long titles. Uh, next week, uh, so please pay uh, come check us out, and we'll be discussing those in depth. Tanner Darkly is a Richard Linkletter film, 2006, starring Keanu Reeves, Winona Ryder, Robert Downey Jr. Before he became uh, Rory Cochran, as well as uh, a fun little bit by Woody Harrelson. Others. Uh, this is another drug adult film, and yeah. uh, maybe Doctor Tobias's wasn't, but at least a lot of it had a lot of the same elements. So it wasn't about drugs, but it was about the mind. About the mind. Um. This film has a very different style about it. Biggie, I know you looked into this and talked about it. So I'm going to let you start and explain what cell shading is and maybe. Sure. Uh, well, this, this film is animated and it's animated in such a way uh, that it uses existing footage and you have artists that go through and add all the line work and everything for each high definition frame. And then they put it all together and there you go. Uh, it's called uh, interpolated rotoscope. And uh, it's just so fascinating. And when you watch this movie, uh, you'll definitely see how the art overlays and how awesome and intense it looks in certain aspects. And the freedom that they have in, in this to do other things that they may not be able to do here in the real world is also just unlimited, you know, but uh, it's a fantastic process and Linklater used it on uh, a different film as well. I can't remember the name Waking of the title Life. of it. Waking Life. Thank you very much. Uh, didn't have, didn't I have the kid from another Linklater film? Uh, it was the kid from Days to Confused, right? So this actually Roy has Roy Cochran as well, which is also from Days to Confused, who is also from Days um, right. And I will look up Waking Life for you while you continue, uh, if you want, about hoping. But uh, very cool, and it, it seems like uh, it came a long way from the Waking Life to where it is in a scanner darkly. Um, but anyway, that's the first thing that drew me into the film, besides the big names. You know, you got Woody Harrelson and uh, RDJ and, you know, Keanu and Winona and... It's, this film, it speaks volumes. If you're a fan of Philip K. Dick, you definitely want to check it out. Real quick, it's Willie Wiggins that you were talking about, the kid that plays Mitch from Days of Confused that's in Waking Life, uh, as yeah. well as Ethan Hawke, um, who, yeah. of course, a child star. Um, Lala, what was your first impressions of A Scanner Darkly, especially the the rotoscoping, the, the cell shading? What did you think of that? Um, I saw this a while ago, like a long, a while ago. Um... Um, and I thought it was weird. I thought it was like a weird, like a, um, kind of reminded me of like, when maybe like, um, like when Mike Flesh, like that's kind of what it, like, it, it does look like that, but it doesn't look like that at the same time. But, but that's kind of like the feel that it gave me when I first watched it. I was like, I don't think I could focus on this film. But after a while, like your eyes kind of adjust and you're like, okay, it's like it's animated. And it's just kind of like, they kind of move a little differently, I think. Um, when I first saw it, I, I only watched it because of Keanu Reeves, and I was like, uh, been a fan of his quite some time, and um, I was like, this is kind of weird, and so I didn't really understand it a lot when I was younger to, to watch this, but watching it now, um, well, this felt, I, feel, I feel like this 
this film is very interesting. I feel like we are easily going into the route where we are in bases and, and don't care about civil liberties and um, are watching people and determining whether or not they, letting humans determine if humans are right or wrong, because essentially what well, that's what they were doing on like phone calls. And they were like, nope, don't arrest this person. And it's just like, you, do I even know that you're doing this? Like you're just listening into my phone call to see if I'm doing something. And it's just like, and and then it's like the people with the power are able to block themselves out <laughs> and not be looked at or not be watched or not be. So I felt like it was very, even though this was like released in 2006, which means that it was like around the time I was like 18, 17, 18, this film was being made and written. And then by the time I graduated high school, after I graduated high school, this film was released. It's very ahead of its time in the sense of like where, um, how far technology can jump and like where we would go as a society. So like I thought that was interesting while I was watching it. Um, I feel like everybody's, I feel like everybody was their name. <laughs> Crazy as that sound, I will explain. I feel like everybody was there. RDJ was RDJ. Woody Harrelson was Woody Harrelson. Like, it's like, Do you think they were being was, themselves in this film? I, I, I feel like they were they were what we're used to seeing on film. Well, yeah. RDJ. So this is this is two years before he gets the role as Iron Man. This is post Trouble, because I try to avoid talking too much about it because he doesn't want to talk about it. So I'm not going out of my way to talk about it. Um, right. And since. He had a reputation. To me, if you look at the four people that are hired for this film, they oh, all they had a all reputation had for being kind of yeah, bad yeah. kids in Hollywood and yeah. drug users. And, you know, Winona was known for stealing and, you know, other you know things. Yeah. And so I think there, there was an intention from Linkletter to absolutely hire those people because of that. Oh, I'm sure because it's like, it's, it's not a far reach for them to kind of like dig into these characters and like be these characters. But I just right. felt like from an actor standpoint, like, Robert Downey Jr. is one of those actors who doesn't really change when he's on screen. And to me... Don't tell Marvel fans that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I feel like, I feel like he was, I feel like he was Robert Downey Jr. I feel like Woody Harrelson was Woody, you know what I mean? That's what I mean. Like, I don't mean like, like they were playing themselves, but I feel like they were playing like maybe the caricatures of themselves. Or characters like not even they were they were it it was just like the type of jokes that RDJ does in everything that he does he does he did in this film like you're not so you won't look at him and be like well what am I this movie Robert Downey Jr. yes it is because you'll see that it's him like same thing with Woody Harrelson Woody Harrelson played like this like hippie stoner laid back which is kind of like what he does in all his films and in real life but maybe and in real life but maybe his outfit changes you know what I mean like he had hair in this movie while in real life he doesn't have hair. Right. You know what I'm saying? When Winona Ryder played like this very like you know sexy kind of laid back odd, which is what she does in her films. Keanu Reeves, same thing. He played like the it's like I'm the straight man, but I'm just as weird as everybody else. But I'm kind of same type of. But there was a bit of whoa like, about him in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You no, know, exactly. So like everybody, whoa. they were all their names. Like they were they were what you're used to seeing. Yeah. So, so you're not uneasy when you're watching this. I thought it was. Right. But I thought it was so, very interesting. Does anybody else get? from all the cockroaches in the beginning with Rory Cochran because he does such a good job of twitching and, and, and the cell shading on top of all of that and yeah. him with the cop I love where like it goes into his thought bubble and he imagines the cop killing him and then it's just the cop like just trying to drive by and doesn't care um, right. it, it, same thing when he was in a diner and he's right, like just like right. getting naked like the way he's just getting naked in his brain and I'm just like oh. but what's funny is that that's what he was thinking but when he was offered you know the opportunity to 
do that he was like no no, no i'll take the you drugs i'll take the drugs i don't want you know um it is funny how they're each adored uh and loved by fans now when we're all troublesome to some degree um i liked robert Downey jr's character although he is without a doubt the antagonist of the film like he's the I bad love guy that he was, though. Right? i love that he was yeah, I could be murdered. I love that, like you know, ridiculous <laughs> way of talking, and that he had a paranoia about him where he kept just making shit up because it mm-hmm. worked for him and it worked along with the drug. I think that his way of getting high on that drug was to make shit up and be paranoid. Like that's what. Okay. Uh, and you could tell he's the reason that the car broke down. Like I could tell. You messed yeah. with the car before we left, dude. You had to. You even just said you have all the tools, weirdo. Like, and yet his yeah. friends didn't pick up on it because they're so. I. Yeah. Because you think that like there's like this camaraderie and shared experiences, right? So you're like, we share this thing. You wouldn't dare hurt this thing that we're sharing. And Robert Downey Jr.'s character is like, yeah, I would because I'm tired of all y'all at this point. So yeah. And but I'm just I don't know. His, the quintessential scene for me for his character is, it, is that like if you were just as high as his friends and you didn't really look at what he was doing when he uh, when he like let Woody Harrelson's character like die essentially or like die that's when you should have known something was wrong like that's when you should have known like I mean you should have known something beforehand but if you didn't catch it after that you didn't catch it during and after that and it's like you're like are you even paying attention to this character because he literally said I kind of could you just sit there so calmly like He's kind of like a psychopath. He just sat there very calmly and watched this man choke to death. He did call nine one one. Eventually, well, you know what, Kitty? Casually, Bessie, Bessie. When we're done with this, smack him in the face for that comment, please. But he did. He called nine one one. He was like, "I got an asphyxiation, maybe cardiac arrest." He thought he was dead. Yeah, he was and very then- calm about it. Look, yes, you're talking about a junkie. Wrong. You're talking about a junkie who knew that he would have more opportunity to, for hits if there was one less person in the house. Yep. That's that's not why he did it though. I think he did. I don't it know. Are you sure? I think I think that he. I really because like what what Keanu Reeves character? What what um was his name? Arctor. Um, Bob Arctor. Oh. Bob Arctor. He um one. Thank you, Bessie. <laughs> She's on it. Um. When he said that he, it's Father's he said, Day, don't get me hit. Sorry, <laughs> it's going. It's not going to. It's not. Well, it's not going to be Father's Day in, in like twenty more minutes for me. So go on my time, Bessie. Um, anywho, um, Keanu said something about his character. Like Arthur said something about his character. Like um, heavily paraphrasing, he said something like, um, um, "I realize that he's a person who like he doesn't kill you." But he waits for the opportune moment to like let you die, and almost like mm-hmm. he knows when to let those moments happen. When to let those moments happen. Right. So like he's essentially you, like a psychopathic murderer. But hold on, just, you're talking uh, about a person, Bob Arctor, yeah. who didn't even know he was Bob Arctor. So how can we rely on what he thinks of another character? It's just not valid material. Okay, I gotta say this. Okay, go ahead, real quick. Do you, do you guys know that when Bob was in the interview with the two doctors and he's talking about what's going on with him, do you mm-hmm. know that they described how we're seeing the film as the effect that the drug has on the people? Yes. Yes. Just making sure. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. So I, I love those meta things that take us even further. There's another movie. I'm not going to say the name of the movie, but I'm going to put it on our show for you to watch. But I don't want to mention it. And Biggie, if you know what movie I'm talking about, keep it to yourself. 
because I genuinely want Lala to see this movie with no taint. I want her to just walk right into this movie and watch it. So I'm now not going to bring it up for a little while so that we can avoid it sounding like flip it in one episode. And then I'll tell you after, because it has the same, like, holy shit. Oh, what's the movie? Because I want to watch it. You're gonna, but I'm going to do it in a way that you won't know. So I promise. And you will like this film. I'm almost certain of it. So, yes, I like that this movie. (laughs) Whoa. Um, I do that all the time at school. (laughs) I like that this movie basically makes you feel paranoid. You're essentially, and so did Fear and Loathing for that matter. Like, I'm sitting there feeling oh, yeah. both movies. I watched them back to back, and I'm just like, man, what is somebody going to break down my door and come take me away? I just kept <laughs> feeling that from these films. And this movie definitely has that, like, enemy at the state, but not just a, you yeah. know, not just a thriller. Like, no, they really might be watching me right now. And I think these kinds of movies have not lended well to this NSA concept where people filmed all the time. I'm like, yeah, we may be, but. If you're not bringing the law, I don't think it really matters. And if anything, I would claim that this movie is now like Idiocracy documentary about modern times, with the exception of the like super to hide. Other than that, we have the op- opioid crisis. We are 100%, you know, putting ourselves in comatose states with entertainment and internet and drugs and all these very. And they can watch this whenever they want. Not that they are, but they can. And so I don't think this movie isn't now i think this movie place now because it even says in the not too distant and it's 2000 i'm like yeah and here's the kicker these people don't necessarily know this did you guys know alex jones is in this i just read it yeah so he's the guy yeah so he's the guy standing outside going don't let the government take you guys and they come and tase him and drag him away in the van that's literally alex jones the yeah, the wacko yeah. guy. Uh, and Link Letters on record saying that, you know, he, they were friends because he was, you know, anti establishment for a long time, which like, films are pretty much all anti establishment. And right. so to see him become a stooge uh, for, you know, in the last five <laughs> years is kind of like the opposite of the way he was for a long time. And so they're not friends anymore. Uh, but that's the most he's ever said on it. But, you know, you put the guy in a five seconds of your film, I don't, trying to promote him. Um, but still kind of funny. Kind of this, all three of these films have these like dated issues to some yeah, degree, which much. is weird. Not all movies do, but these three. We want to tell La La the end. Please do. So, uh, Bob is essentially hopelessly addicted to the drug. Mm-hmm. And so we find out that Donna is, of course, the police chief person or the head of the of the undercover portion and she goes to her partner who is uh, at a diner and they're talking about how poor poor bob they've they've run him through the ringer just to get him addicted to drugs so that they could without his knowledge put him undercover to go down to the farms to take out new weight so they actually yeah. let him, they send him to the farms where they're growing the flower and New Wave is growing the flower for the drug. Mm, new path? New path, sorry, not New Wave. Um, yeah. But their farms are all for that, the, the, the flower. And they hide them in the cornfields down below eye level. Essentially putting those uh, suits, but over the flowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Bob, uh, Bob, Bob uh, he actually has a little thing to remember to take a flower to somebody and so that's 
how they're insinuating that they're gonna beat them in essence and when they even show him duck tucking one into his into his sock into his so shoe, he can yeah, go on thanksgiving yeah. and give donna the flower he doesn't remember her name he doesn't remember his job. He's so wiped out from the drugs. He just remembers he's got to give a person that flower at That's some point. So crazy that they that they essentially in a in a in a drug epidemic in in this world, you knowingly made somebody a drug addict so yeah. without their knowledge, so that they're it's they're more like easily coerced into this place where you can, whereas you probably could have asked him. He probably would just said okay, but like. You and they say I think the doctor said in his mind it's possible that his mind was snapped back, but then it's also possible be, that even after he's weaned off of it, he's out of his system, his brain might still be messed up. So you will knowingly destroy a person. So that's what the doctor said, but they they covered that his brain will never snap back. They they yeah, very crazy. much cover that that's they did this I mean, to him I mean, and it's permanent. It's, it's but I don't. But here's the thing too, though, right? Uh, RDJ did a lot of things. He kind of snapped back. <laughs> I got faith. But that's for, real uh, life. This is a drug that's I got, beyond, I got, you know. Listen, I got faith in Bob. You know, I feel like Bob could do it. Scanner clearly, Bob covers up, right? You want me to read the last quote of the film, which is from uh, Philip K. Dick? You should. It's the yeah. one they put on the screen. Okay, it says in memory. It says in memoriam. These are these were comrades whom I had. There are no better. They remain in my head, and the enemy will never be forgiven. Uh, the, I know this book had a lot to do with a lot of deaths having to do with ODs, stuff like that of that nature. Mm -hmm. Well, he, so, Dick was a a writer that was more famous in the 50s, 60s, 70s, was in any era. And those were an era pretty heavy drug use not that we're not anymore yeah. still like it's still perpetuated till now but right uh, cool. definitely where it most of it began or at least societal level um mm -hmm. rather than just be like counterculture um it, it's a dick's books are so bizarre because he takes things that most people think about and then just takes them further blade runner yeah. is philip k dick as well as uh, many other good so we can a couple minority report total recall. total recall uh let's see another which total, which total recall the original so he actually Fortune. wrote the short story and then that's what made total recall move okay. which is technically not the same as the short story and then that colin farrell thing wholesale or something like that uh let me I have to i don't it's have it all up in here uh, what can I remember? Where we can remember it for you wholesale. Yeah, that's it. Um, Thank you. And it doesn't take place on Mars. the The short story actually takes place just it's a memory thing. And a lot of his books and themes are around the mind and memory and psychosis, because that's what he delved in. He's the kind of in a weird way. This is why I thought this would be interesting. Hunter S. Thompson. We've got Philip K. Dick, and we've got Terry Gilliam all people that are weird in the head. And I don't mean that in a negative way, just like they cool? see things differently than most people do. And uh, it's obvious in the stories. I think important, but I think harder for people to get their minds around. Um, sure. This one's maybe more palatable than the other two, but I still think people struggle with this. Right. 
I can see that. Yeah. Yeah, you can be you can be taken uh, taken in by the world and then forget about what's actually happening in that world. Like the animation style is so different and not really used at all. Like even before, like I know it's been used a little bit, but not like really a lot. So like if you come into this, it's not something that we're used to. Like we're used to like a Pixar animation, a Disney. Like we're used to this type of thing, three D characters, but to see kind of like a bumped over type of vibrating you know, constantly moving type of image like that. Yeah. It's, it's, I think people would be more into that and then be like, oh, they're saying, everybody's saying words. Oh, okay. There's, oh, let me pay attention yeah. to the words, you know? So. But um, I think, I think Linkletter approached this from the sense that if you wanted to show weird things like the many eyed creature that comes to tell Freck all of his sins for the existence of time, that you could do in CGI, but it wouldn't have lasted. A 2006 CGI would have looked like shit at this point. And yeah. I think I this know. list this lasted like well, okay. So Dr. Well, Parnassus was 2009, and some of the special effects in that were like the just, devil no, is I the snake. It, I was like, oh, I that's it, pretty I bad. It, yeah, that was weird. Like the whole yeah, that didn't but look I mean, great. But I, but I also think it's, it's I don't know. It depends on sometimes who does your CGI. I'm not saying you're no, wrong. Yeah. I'm just saying that there are no there a are good team, but I don't think this movie would have been big enough. Films in 2006 that like when you see their animation and you watch it now and like maybe 2020 or something like that, 2021, you're like, but I guess I think like I said, it depends on like the team, like you said, like the team behind it that does it because you know. But also I just feel like with the type of film this is, the rotoscoping was like a perfect thing to put with. Agreed. Well, everything's kind of like always yeah. shifting but also right? if, it, yeah. if it's about if it's about drugs if it's about like this, this they lost the world drugs obviously and like a company is like well the best thing we can do to make money is manufacture this drug that people keep partaking in you kind of want and then to make it so that we are looking at this world as though we're on the drugs that type of animation is like per- perfection for us right it, it, it just lends itself to the world even more i agree i agree uh, it also made shifting between people. The suits, I think, is where this all started. Mm-hmm. When they were probably yeah. talking about the suits, they're like, how are we going to do that? How are we going to make this real? Because even CGI, that would be tricky as hell today to make the suits look right, let alone right. 20 years ago. So I think there's many reasons. But then also switching between like Winona and the other girl that he slept with, you know, in those yeah. shots would have been very hard to do without yeah. it looking cartoon yeah. world they, it, it's easy yeah. to get the skin tones and- i love i love that they um set that up in the beginning he was like be careful because like when you're on camera like it'll if you don't if you don't edit yourself it'll catch you as like yourself which i yeah. think is crazy because you have this high-tech piece of technology but cameras can still cameras are like the eyes man every movie a camera always catches you to do something it catches like ghosts catches entities it catches like everything <laughs> and then and, you know for him he thought that he and I think for a minute his eyes saw what he needed to see, and then he blinked, and then it was just like, because you know we see one thing and then we blink, we're like, oh, okay, it's back to what I thought, so I'm just gonna be like, whatever. Then for him to go to the camera and be like, what? What? Is it? Yeah, like the camera I, I saw mean, both of them, which yeah, is the really weird. The camera saw both of them, which is like, which was just like very interesting, you know. So um, we should have a Brendan Fraser week. Is that because you're seeing the Doom Patrol behind Biggie? I'm assuming. Um, so, I mean, sure, sure. I mean, yeah, I am not like, 
what what movies i guess um the mummy okay and then i don't like your tone i love brendan fraser but i also grew up after he became bedazzled you guys the millennials love him because (laughs) the mummy was like your guys's movie when i saw the mummy i was like oh that's cute listen don't put me in i love him from encino man that's my movie with him right i loved him in encino man and i love Polly shore but brendan fraser was always like an aside to Polly shore to me I've been a Brennan Fraser fan for a long time. Don't put listen, I enjoyed the mummy as well. The monkey first, bone. One, Don't make me one. watch monkey bone. The third monkey one was bone. Ah. If you guys want to hear Mr. Snippets just trash on movies, then we can do that. But honestly, honestly, I, I have three that I want. Oh Lord. Okay, so 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 put them in the put them in the thing. Um one thing I wanted to talk about, I have a nitpick about this movie, about Scanner Darkly, uh, and then we can... Oh, I love, I love snippets, nitpicks. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a little thing, but it, it's just one of those things that stood out to me this time, and I'm like, okay, of course they ulti- ultimately figure out who Bob is, and like Donna figures it out. I, You know, that's fine. She's a good detective. She's doing her damn job, if that's what she's done. But right. I think she knew all along, based upon what we find out at the end. But, but, anybody who doesn't know who Bob is, if you saw the five people in that house or the four people in that house, there's only one six foot three motherfucker. Everyone else is five eight. Yeah, they're all pretty short. None of them mm-hmm. are gonna be the other like that just I was like, no, this doesn't work. Keanu is tall and skinny. The height you'll never change with those suits. You're never gonna change the height with those suits. So it's not Winona, it's not RDJ who's tiny compared to 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 Keanu, it just that stood out to me. I was like, man, that bugs me because you can't take it back. You can't find a way to the height. Is that too you much of a nitpick? going to notice that though? No, of course not. It's a nitpick. That's why it's a snidbit nitpick. So, good and stuff. I got my F bomb in there, which I'm always trying to do. Although that might have been R rated considering I dropped it with the mother. So, ooh. I don't know. I'm not an. I'm not an uh, aficionado. I, I don't work for the MPA, so and I and I wouldn't want to, because they would let so many things go through. <laughs> right. You don't want me working for them. We need ADP. to rate this film. So yeah, I, I you know, I I think things are rated a little too harshly, but that's just me. all all R-rated movies that are R because of language would be people. all of them. Yeah. No, literally, in yeah. this in this day and age. Same thing, with, people... same thing with just basic nudity, like just people being nude would not make it anything more than PG for me. PG thirteen if no, it starts to grow like go down a path and then R if it becomes graphic. Like R should be reserved for graphic things only. R should be R should be conserved like should be um preserved for like full frontal nudity and like gore. Right. I feel like but if it's like a booty shot or like you know side nip, like side boob or so, I still feel like those are PG thirteen things. I'm pretty sure kids see worse than that in their house. Um, I think nudity should be considered. G- it's we're all born that way. I that's just my opinion. We're so much. I was raised in a household where, which was the opposite of most households, where the violence was what they didn't want me to see, but they didn't care about sex, and that to me seems like the more logical place because sex is what creates life while violence is what takes it, and yet we're okay with exceptionally violent shit in PG-13 movies. 
including unaliving the living shit out of people, uh, like in Guardians Merc. of the Galaxy 2, where they kill hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people on screen, not just like implied. And yet we're all like, woohoo, good guys. I was like, but it's, but it's different. Honestly, it's different because you don't see it's like the Disney killings. It's like, I know, but they're still dying. Somebody gets, somebody gets stabbed. But you see a but boob and like, Oh, the world's oh, over, you know, know what I mean? I know, and I'm just like, ah, oh, yeah. I know that's what I'm saying, but it's just like, but it's like, it's one of those things where it's like R rated is like when you get stabbed and like you pull the you pull back and you can see the blood on the knife, as opposed to Disney when you get stabbed and they're like, they're doing spray these days in Disney, they are doing spray in Disney, <laughs> they're doing oh, decapitations yeah. and spray and still getting PG 13 ratings. And I'm thinking it, but also, I like smart things. We're going to rate because it was like two minutes. I know, I like smart, I like smart deaths too. Like, um, like in Tarzan, one of my favorite animations. Love it. Um, when Clayton dies, spoiler alert. Um, when Clayton dies, um, he pretty much gets hung, but you don't see him, but you see his silhouette. What? Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm like, that's worse to me than actually seeing <laughs> the body. And I like stuff like that. Like, I don't. Everything doesn't have to be thrown in my face. Right. Give me a different. Be cinematic. And be smart and be creative and yeah. you know, do some do some different stuff with death that'll still get your point across, but you ain't gotta gross nobody out unless that's your plan. Right. No, that, if your movie's meant to be gross here in Loathing Las Vegas, then it's gonna be gross. Like that's <laughs> um Yeah. Okay, let's rate this movie. We did start a couple minutes late, so I'm not worried about going up or a couple minutes. That's why I didn't like race out of here, but um Let's go ahead and rate it. Uh, I rated the last one. Lala rated the first one. Biggie, you go first. Uh, 9.5. This is one of my favorite movies because it it deals with something that uh, affects me, which is, you know, the drug crisis in the real world here. Um, And so I've had, I've actually lost quite a few people in my life because of things of that nature. So uh, this movie definitely at home where that's concerned. Uh, I love the draw, the animation, uh, the the acting, the story, the plot, uh, the, the kind of mystery about it. Um, and the final shot where, you know, that quote is just kind of brings a whole new meaning to it. And I actually bought the book after that. Um, so... Nerd. <laughs> And what I am, but you know, if you if you're really interested, uh, go check out the writing because uh, it, it's not the same as the movie, obviously, but it's mm-hmm. it's definitely got the core uh, structure of it there. Okay. All right. So nine point five. Nine five. Lala. Um, twelve year old me probably will just barrel through this just because. Um, for me now, I give this a solid seven. I give it a solid seven. It's it's not a bad film. I wouldn't say it's like my favorite film, but I enjoyed everybody's performance. I enjoyed um, everybody's performance for me, which is like a one. I don't think there was like a, a weak a weak link in the bunch. Um, the story, like right. we kind of all said, right? I don't think the story, like we all said, has um, stood the test of time, and it's kind of like in the near future, is like today. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, and that's, you know, that's what it's feeling like. And I like films that, I like films that I can go back and be like, oh man, the world was great in the 90s. Look at, look at the stuff we did. And it was like these little things. But then I also like films that can stand the test of time. Somebody can watch this 
50 years from now and be like, yo, remember in the year of like 2025, man? Like, that well, that crazy. was happening. Whoa. You know what I mean? Like, right. that's this movie came out in like years before that. And they, you know what I mean? Like, I like films that do that as well. And like, I feel like this film um, could do that. Um, I would, I watch it twice now. So it's, not a, it's, it's a film that obviously I will watch again. Um, so yeah, a solid seven. Solid seven. I like it. This isn't going to surprise anybody, but this for me is a 10. Uh, what? Shut up. Keanu, Linkletter. Linkletter is one of my favorite directors. I, I pretty much watch anything. You have a lot of Linkletter on your letterbox, I think. He, I grew up, like Days of Confused was a movie I saw when I was 15. And so that was my first experience with a Linkletter <laughs> film. And yeah. I and I loved that movie. Like I've most, most people. You say this every week with movies that I love. I've, somebody write that down. That has to be. We'll have to do like a link letter night or something. Because Boyhood yeah. is a movie that everybody should watch as well. Yeah. They shot that movie over seven years and let the kid grow up on film. So like every summer his they daughter, would go. His daughter was in it. Right. So they, they'd go and film every summer and then make it like a thing for three weeks until the kid was 17. And so you actually get to watch this kid grow up, which is a unique thing to film. I love that he does that. Or we have. We could do the like uh, the Midnight Trilogy is another thing that we could do um, where Ethan Hawke, uh, oh, what's her name? I'm terrible. Ethan Hawke and, and a wonderful actress do a series of movies together every 10 years. They come back and uh, play the same couple over every 10 years. Oh, um, uh, Before Sunrise? Before Sunset, before sunset and then Before yeah, Midnight. Yeah, yeah. And they're yeah, talking about Before Dawn as something to do in like seven years or something. Delphi. Julie Delpy, French Julie Delpy, yeah, that's right. Julie Delpy, yeah, Julie Delpy. And I've actually never seen them. Don't come for me. Don't anybody come for me. <laughs> I haven't seen them either. So I, know, good, I know yeah. of them, but I haven't seen them either. Can I just say that Ethan Hawkman is having a resurgence? And yes. I'm loving every yes. bit of it. I'm loving every bit of it. So that's I want to see the Black Phone so bad. Me too. I saw the trailer for that and was like, this looks crazy stupid and I want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been watching Ethan since Explorers. Like he's been on my radar since I was his age. Well, he and I are almost the same age. So, yeah, I, I like that. Older than everybody. I am older than everybody on this show, at least. Um, maybe one day we'll have an older person, but that's people that are older than me. Kidding, of course. Um, that said, this has been week 33 episode 33 of the real study we will be back for episode 34 next week starring thank you, thank you for joining us. Star, starring oh, sure and thank you definitely but we'll we'll have starring. myself we'll have um uh, black girl marvel mr marvel and all the movie things should all be returning as well as superhero talk uh, also known as michael uh, will be joining us to discuss the multiverse shows ah so, yes so that'll be that'll be exciting uh, that said, we are going to raid my little brother, a Johnny, a Johnster, if a you will. Johnny. And I'm doing it now. So if you guys could stick with us and. Stick with us so you can hear him call me Black Girl, uh, Black Marvel Girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could correct him. We could. We could correct him this time. But anyway, you guys all have a great night. Listen, I correct him every time. Bye, guys. <laughs>